Well, we have been, over the last uh, month and a half, talking about faith as found in the book of James. We've been talking about faith, uh, uh, forward in faith, moving forward in faith. How do we live our lives with a mature faith? Right, we've, we've talked a lot over the year about what it looks like to, to really truly live for Christ. So what is a, what is a mature faith look like? What does that even look like? And so we've been just taking a look through the book of James. We've been going through pretty much verse by verse here, going through James uh, and talking about some of the things that James is, is talking about here, that, that faith perseveres, faith obeys, faith loves, faith acts, faith speaks, right? We, last week we, we talked about the power of our words and how we use our words to glorify God and to praise God and to to edify each other, to encourage one another. And so I, I hope last week you were listening to the way that you spoke to one another, the way that you, that you even, even spoke to yourself in your mind. I hope that you listened to that as you kind of got a gauge, a temperature gauge of where, where your faith might be. And so this morning we're going we're gonna to move forward a little bit. We're going to be in James chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 13, right where we left off. Uh, but I, I, and this is on page 855 if you're using one of our pew Bibles. Uh, but I, I hope that you've heard me over this series as we've been talking about faith. And I hope that over this whole series you've heard this from me, that faith has to be more than just an intellectual assent to certain beliefs. Faith has to be more than just knowledge of or beliefs about God. Faith has to be lived out in our lives. It must be lived out in our lives. And James is going to uh, talk here, and, and we're going to go over the next couple sections of James, uh, and we're going to talk really just this morning uh, about submission. Submission to God. And so uh, turn with me to James chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 13. And like I said, we're going to take a couple of these sections this morning because I think they, they really do go together. Remember, in, uh, as James was writing this letter, uh, there weren't these breaks in the middle. There, weren't, there wasn't chapter 3 and chapter 4. Uh, it was just all written as one. And so I think these two sections actually go together really well. And so while you turn there, I just want to remind you this morning, James was written by James, the brother of Jesus, right? Uh, and uh, he was writing to a, a persecuted church, a scattered church, a church who has, who has left Jerusalem. They've left the city because of this persecution that they're going through. They are, they are in a sense, hopeless. They are, in a sense, homeless. Uh, and James is writing this to these people. Uh, and, and he's reminding them that as believers, this is what our lives should look like. Right? We have a tendency to look at the book of James and think, Man, this is just a bunch of how-tos. If I just do all of this, then I will be good. And that's not James at all. That's not the point of James at all. The point of James is this. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you claim Christ, if you are a follower of Him, then this is what your life should look like. This is not a do this, so that kind of book. This is a because of this, this is then how you should live. And James, this morning, we're going to talk a lot about submission. And, and I think you're going to see this, this comparison made a lot today of between, you know, this is, this is how you should live. If you are a believer, this is how you should live. And this is how, how the world, this is how things are naturally. But this is how you should live. We're going to see this comparison. And really the idea this morning is that faith submits. Faith submits. You know, we, 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 we have a hard time with submission in our culture. Submission is just not our, 
not on the top of our priority list in our culture. Right, we, we, wanna, we, we love our individual freedoms. We love being able to try and go for the top. I want to be on the top. I want to be on the top. And it's not something we get excited about to say, I'm going to submit here. But all throughout Scripture, we, get, we see God, we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this, this call to submit, to submit to one another, to submit to God, to submit to authority. We have this call from God on our lives as believers to submit. And I think this, this kind of just this uncomfortable part of, of being someone who submits is something that we deal with a lot. And so this morning, I just want to talk through submission. What, is it, what does it look like to be submitted to God? What, is this, what does this even mean? And so we're going to start in James chapter 3 this morning, starting at verse 13. And again, we're going to go over just a couple sections here. James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. I'm going to stop right there. We're going to continue in a little bit, but I just want to stop right there and talk about this picture that James gives us here of these two types of wisdom. Right, type number one of wisdom that James, was, James has here is, is worldly wisdom. Right, it's a wisdom that is motivated by, by self-centered ambition. Everything, that, everything is measured in our lives by how it affects me, how it affects you. Right, what is, if I do this, how is this going to affect my life? What does this look like for me in the long run? Is this the best thing that I can do for me? What's in it for me? We ask these questions, these selfish questions, uh, and this is kind of, James is saying here, these kinds of things are, are worldly wisdom. These are not from heaven. These are not heavenly kind of things here. He even says these are demonic things. Right, these, this selfish ambition, what's best for me? What's, what's in this for me? He talks about envy, and envy is just always comparing to other people, wanting, to, wanting what others have, other people that are perceived as better than me. I want what they have. I want what they have. I, I want what they, they, they see. I want, I want to live how they live. I want this. I want that. There's this envy here. And James is saying this envy, this selfish ambition, this self-centeredness is not of God. This is not a, a godly wisdom kind of thing. This is a worldly wisdom. And, and like I said, James even calls it out. He says, this is, this is demonic in verse 15. He contrasts that with godly wisdom. And this godly wisdom comes from heaven. And it takes you straight back to James chapter 1, verse 5, when it says, does any of you lack wisdom? You should ask God who gives it generously in James chapter 1, verse 5. Right? This, this is the kind of wisdom that we, we should seek. It's wisdom that, 
<coughs> that can't always be found in, in intellectual knowledge and practical experience. It can only be found in seeking God. There are going to be some things that God calls you to do that don't make sense intellectually, that don't make sense given your life experience, that don't, they just don't make sense. But God is calling you to do this, and so this is, this is a, a godly wisdom thing. This is a, the, the ability to say, all right, God is calling me to do this, and even though it goes against everything that I know to be true in life, even though it goes against everything that I know, every intellectual part of my being, okay. Right in Proverbs chapter two, go to <coughs> go to Proverbs chapter two with me. Proverbs talks about wisdom over a hundred times in these thirty-one chapters, and in chapter two, here's what <coughs> here's what the author here says in chapter two. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and you cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guide you. I could go on, but the book of Proverbs just talks about wisdom, this godly wisdom. And, and this is what, this is what <coughs> James is talking about. And James describes this wisdom, right? He describes, he gives the characteristics of this wisdom, and he says, here, here's, here's what he says. He said, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. It's peace-loving, considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, I could go back and forth here this morning between this passage and Galatians 5 and talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And you see the similarities there. I could talk this morning about this passage and Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is talking about the Beatitudes, and see the connections here. This is what godly wisdom looks like. We're called to these type of things all throughout the New Testament, in Matthew and Galatians, and here in James. This is what it looks like to have godly wisdom. But here's the thing. Our natural tendency is not godly wisdom. Our natural tendency is to look out for number one. Our natural tendency is, is, is to survive. It's to look inside and say, what's best for me? What do I get out of this? What does this mean for me? How can I best go forward for myself? It's, we, we are naturally selfish people. And so to, to be able to, to flip the switch, if you will, and to begin to process what godly wisdom looks like in our lives, it takes submission. And see, we aren't the only people who struggle with this. We aren't the only people who struggle with this, this tendency to look inside and inside only, to be selfish people. 
apparently the people that James is writing to are struggling with the same things. Because here's how he continues in chapter 4. What caused it? Remember, he's just talking about peacemakers who sow in peace, right? And then he says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What's he saying here? You're selfish people. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And here's here's the verse here. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? It's a great way to end that, right? This, this, if, you, if you weren't wondering if James was just going to come out front and say it, just who are you to judge your neighbor? Right? He's talking to these people who, who are obviously struggling with these two kinds of wisdom. Struggling with this, this worldly wisdom of being selfish and, and looking inward. And then at the same time, not, not really quite grasping this godly wisdom that they need. And so James is, is teaching them a little bit. And I think what we have here this morning <coughs> is really, really four areas, I think, that we can submit to God. And, and find, find this godly wisdom, find this godliness, and stop, stop the selfishness that we have in our lives. Here's the, the first way that we can, we can submit. We can submit our desires. I think he talks about this in verses 1 through 3 here in chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the, your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Here's the... the, uh, He's not in here. James is not saying that the the desires of our heart are wrong. He's saying that... In fact, he's saying there's, there's battling desires within you. Right, he's saying these desires are, are put there by God, but, but when, they, when these desires are not submitted to God, when they're not, when they're not under the, 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 the lordship of God, what happens is, is you, don't, you, you don't receive, he says, because of your motives. 
You don't receive because of your motives. This becomes a, a motive thing. We need to be checking our motives as we, as we chase our desires. And sometimes we see verse 2. You don't have because you don't ask God. And sometimes we take that out of context and we just say, well, I'm just going to ask God for whatever I want and then He's going to give it to me because I don't have because I don't ask God. So here's the problem with that. Is, well, the first problem is we don't read verse 3 along with that. But the, the second problem is, is if, if that's what we believe, then we kind of turn God into like a cosmic Santa Claus. And our prayers become this, this list to God to say, God, I want this and this and this and this. And this would be cool, but maybe you don't have to do that. And this is, what, this is how we pray. Right? You don't have because you don't ask. And if we, if we stop at that verse, this, that's what God becomes. He becomes this... This kind of Santa Claus. But we need to check our motives. <coughs> he says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. We need to check our motives. If, if our motives are for selfish gain, then chances are our prayer is not going to get answered in the way that we think it should be answered. But if our motive in praying what we're praying is for a higher purpose, then chances are God is going to bless that prayer. And here's what I don't want you to hear me say this morning. I don't want you to hear me say that if, if as long as you're praying for something that is a higher purpose, God is going to give you exactly what you want. Because God doesn't just give us exactly what we want sometimes. Sometimes God accomplishes His higher purposes in ways that we, that we wouldn't even think of. I mean, think of Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul prays in 2 Corinthians 12, God would you just take this thorn from me? I have this, this thorn in my flesh. Would you just take it from me? And his prayer isn't just that he would feel better for a little bit. His prayer is that God would be glorified through this. And God comes back and, and, and Jesus speaks to him and he says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made known through your weakness. And so Paul comes out of this and he's saying, look, I was praying for the storm to be removed from me, but, but I'm going to boast all the more now because Jesus says His power is made great in my weakness. And so man, this, this, this higher purpose that God would be glorified is, is being done even though the prayer that I'm praying isn't being answered in the way that I think it should be answered. God, take this from me. I want you to be glorified. God, would you just take this from me? Well, hey, guess what, Paul? I'm not going to take it from you, but I am going to be glorified because you're going to glorify me because in, my, in your weakness, my power is made strong. See, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a chance that when you pray, even if you're praying for a higher purpose, that God is going to accomplish that purpose through means that you and I cannot see right now. See, God sees things that are, that are far beyond our sight lines. They're not even in our peripherals. We could look back five years later and just be like, man, God answered that prayer, but that looked nothing like what we were praying for. Man, praise God that He can answer prayer like that. Could you imagine if the only way that God could accomplish His goals is through ways that we could see right here and right now. Yeah, thank God 
that he is bigger than we are, that he sees farther than we do, that he can accomplish his goals and his higher purposes in ways that we can't even grasp or imagine. But here's the thing, those things don't always get done unless we submit our desires to God. There are some things in your life that God wants to do through you. But sometimes we get in our own way. Sometimes we think, well, this is what God is calling me to, and I just I know this because I just know this, right? I know that God is calling me to do this. I haven't really necessarily heard that from him or anything, but I just I'm pretty sure God is calling me to do this. And so we just go for our lives and we just say, Well, this is the way we're gonna live. This is the way I'm going to do it. This is the way I'm going to do it forever. And then we miss this, this whisper in our ear that says, hey, I want you to do something different. I want you to do this over here. And we miss it sometimes. We get in our own way because our desires are our own instead of our, our desires being God's. We need to submit our desires to God. We also need to submit... <coughs> We need to submit our hearts to God. <clears throat> we need to submit our hearts to God. Think with me, just, well, we'll read, read verse 4 and 5 here. Here's what verse 4 and 5 say. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. We need to submit our hearts to God. If you remember in the Old Testament, you think about the people of Israel. And the people of Israel loved God. But sometimes they kind of split their, their allegiance. All right, you remember in Exodus, the, the golden calf. They begin to worship this golden calf. And, and think about just the timeline here. They have just been brought out of Egypt. They have seen these miracles happen over and over again. They've seen the plagues that God sent on the Egyptians. They've seen the, red, the, the Dead Sea part so that they could walk across it on dry land. They've seen all of this. And still, they get to the, the, to the, to the valley below Mount Sinai and they begin to worship a golden calf. They begin to just be distracted by, by things and not just focusing on, on God. Their hearts are, are torn. Fast forward to the 21st century here. And we might not have golden calves sitting in our living rooms. But man, there are some other things that call for our attention. And that pull us away from God. That divide our hearts, if you will, away from, from what God has for us. <coughs> There's a, there's a quote, <clears throat> and I forgot to write down who said it, but I'll find it and I'll, I'll send it out. Anything that captures our heart in such a powerful or compelling way that it moves God from the center to the margins of our lives. Do we have anything in our lives that, is, that captures our heart in such a powerful or compelling way that it moves God from the center 
to the margins in our lives. There are some things, even some small, kind of trivial things that sometimes get in the way of God and push God to the margins of our lives. Some of it is as simple as fantasy football. Or, or doing some, some other thing in our, in our life. We just get so, so overwhelmed with it, so consumed with it, that, that that becomes essentially the middle. And God begins to get moved to the margins. Think about this book that we hold in our hands, this Bible. Who are the main characters in this story? I mean, we could be... Moses has like a book and a half. Abraham's got like half a book. Jesus has four whole books. Right? You could argue the whole New Testament. You could argue the early church is there. <coughs> but here's the thing. God is the main character of this book. God is the center of this book. Sometimes we get distracted by some other things, and we even move God to the margins when we read this book. But God is the main character of this book. Now think about the story of your life. Who's the main character? Is it you? Is it God? Or has God been moved to the margins? But we need to submit our hearts to God. Everything that we are inside of us needs to be, needs to be submitted, submitted to God. Here's the third thing we need to submit. We need to submit our temptations and our sins. Verses 7 through 10 say, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, <coughs> and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I think there's a, there's a powerful statement here that James says. All right, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, he says. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, he says. I think there's this, there's this submission to God and resisting the devil that is here. And I think practically the way that we can do this, the way that we can submit our, our temptations, submit our sins to God and resist the devil and have him flee from us, what we need to do is we need to be in this word. Now you look at Matthew chapter 4 and Jesus was tempted by, by Satan and what, he goes back every single temptation to the book of Deuteronomy. And he quotes scripture to Satan. And we're tempted. There's no better place to be than right here. There's no better place to, no better words to know in our heart than, than right here. To memorize this stuff is, is so important as we're going through temptation, as we're, <coughs> as we're struggling with sin. There's no better thing to know. We also need to be able to establish some boundaries. And this is part of humbling ourselves, is being able to, to, to realize and say, God, I know that I struggle with this. I know that this is an area that Satan may have a foothold in my life. I need some boundaries here. And just, just putting boundaries there. That, hey, I struggle with this area. I'm not even going to go near there. And here's some precautions I'm going to take so I don't even get there. And here's the, the third thing. We need to be accountable we need to have people in our lives that we're able to be accountable to. So they'll say, hey, I struggle with this. Will you pray for me? Amen. This is where the church comes in. 
Right? Because faith, if we're going to move forward in faith, this isn't just something on an individual basis. This is something that we do together. And we need each other. We cannot do this by ourselves. We need to be able, as we struggle with temptation, as we struggle with sin, to be accountable to one another. And to be open and honest and vulnerable with one another. And here's the last thing we need to submit. We need to submit our relationships to God. <clears throat> our relationships to God. Verse 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Have you ever walked away from a conversation and just been like, who are you to judge me? Just walked away from a conversation the person was just really condescending and really judgmental towards you and you just walked away and you're just kind of Kind of angry, like, who are you? Who are you to judge me? Right, here's, the, here's the thing. James, I, I, there's, a, there's a Billy Graham quote that I try and live by. It says, It's God's job to love. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And it's our job to love. This is essentially what James is saying here. James is lifting this burden of judgment off of you and off of me. Say, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge? It's not your job to judge. It is God's job to judge. God can do this. God God will be the judge. And James says we don't have to have this burden of judgment on ourselves. And what this does is it frees us up to actually love our neighbors. Can you imagine? First of all, about 10 years ago, there was a survey done about what people thought about Christians. I think it was like 83% of people thought Christians were judgmental. 83% of people thought Christians were judgmental. And yet, even in our Bible, what we read here in James chapter 4, who are you to judge your neighbor? Man, we should not be known by our judgment. We should be known by our love. Because there is no one anywhere in the world who is outside of the love of God and the grace of God. There is no one anywhere in the world. But guess what? In in, in our lives, there are people anywhere in the world that are outside of our love. This should not be. Sometimes we judge people without even knowing it. We look at them and and just even subconsciously we have this image of who they probably are and what they probably smell like and how they probably speak and we we judge people left and right without even knowing it. But James says, who are you to judge? Who are you to judge? It's God's job to judge. It is your job to love. We need to submit our relationships to God and be able to say, God, whatever this relationship is, and the relationship may be you're another fellow human being, it's our job to love. It's our job to love and not judge. So we need to submit our our desires. We need to submit our hearts. 
We need to submit our temptations, our sins. We need to submit our relationships to God. And here's, here's what begins to happen. As we become submissive to God's direction in our lives, as we become submissive, as our desires become the desires of God, as our heart breaks for the things that breaks the heart of God, as our temptations and sins become, become ways in which we can grow closer to God and not things in which we try and hide from God. In our relationships, as we become people who, who aren't judgmental, but people who love no matter what, no matter who, no matter when, no matter where, man, God begins to, to shape us. God begins to direct our lives in ways that maybe we didn't think about. Because we were thinking about our own desires. We were thinking selfishly. We were in this, this worldly wisdom mindset over here. But as we begin to submit our lives to God, every single part of our lives, not just our desires and our hearts and our temptations and our relationships, every single part of our lives to God, <coughs> He begins to direct us. He begins to shape us. He begins to, it's, it's just a better place to be. There is no better place to be than in full submission to God. Like I said, submission can kind of be an uncomfortable thing to talk about. Because our, our initial thing is, I want to look out for myself. What's in it for me? Am I going to be at the top after this? Are people going to look to me and just be like, man, I want to be that person? Man, I want people to look at me and think, man, I want that relationship with God. I want the intimacy with God that I see in Him. And not in a selfish way, because if people are looking at you and saying, man, I want the relationship with God that you have, that glory is not yours. That glory goes straight to God as you live for Him. Matthew 5, let your light shine for others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not about you. It's about God. Submit your lives <coughs> to God. Let's pray. God, we love you. And God, we just, we give you praise this morning. We give you glory in this place this morning. We give you all the honor in this place this morning, God. And we just say that we are yours. We're yours. Every part of us, God, are, we, we submit our desires to you this morning. God, this morning we, just, we submit our, our fears to you this morning. We submit our temptations. We submit our sins to you this morning. God, we submit our relationships with you this morning. We submit our hearts to you this morning. God, we, we want to be fully yours. God, and as we do that, would you direct us? Would you shape us? Would you guide us? Would you point us in the direction you'd have us to go? God, we make a difference in our world because of you. God, we love you, and we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me just pray this prayer of blessing over you. May the God of glory and grace, 
and justice and peace. May He go with you and ahead of you this week. May He be in your conversations, in your workplaces, in your homes. And may you submit to God this week. And as you submit, may He guide you and direct you and shape you in your lives. Go in the grace and the peace of God this week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you.